Okay, ready. Let's do it. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. Composer, sound artist Charlie Morrow explores immersion in public events, broadcasts, music, installations, and environmental systems. Immerse compares timelines in conversations with more than 40 collaborators. Immerse. 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 I'm Charlie Morrow, and my Immerse podcast will guide you through the world of immersive experience in sound, light, and space. Welcome. Sheffield is proud. A city of the flaming furnaces, powerful steam hammers. Martin Weir is a man of many talents, English musician, composer, producer, and podcaster. He's a founding member of the synth-pop groups Human League and Heaven 17, famous for their minimal Korg and Roland synth sound that produced numerous pop hits, including Being Boiled and the off-band We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing. Weir has produced countless recordings, including Tina Turner's 1983 comeback, Let's Stay Together, and now has a successful career as a podcaster with his very popular Electronically Yours with Martin Ware that regularly features guests from the electronic and pop music worlds such as Fatboy Slim, Moby, and Boy George. I met Martin in New York in 2001 when we discussed our mutual interest in 3D sound and began collaborating on 3D shows like The Kitchen's New Sounds New York and Martin's Future of Sound at BAFTA in London. And finally, I'm very happy to announce that Martin's autobiography, Electronically Yours, will appear in late August as a hardback ebook and audiobook. Oh, we're recording. Cool. All right. Well, that's terrific. Well, good. I'm, I'm delighted to hear you. And uh, there's a project I'm working on. It's called Immerse. I think I mentioned it over uh, Mexican yeah. food. And it's, it's a book and a podcast and an online com, you know, compendium. And it ties in pretty much everything I'm doing. And what it is is that I'm interviewing my collaborators. And I'm asking everybody the same thing, two questions. One is, what are you doing with immersive sound and immersive experience? And the other is, kind of, how did you get there? What was your timeline? So either starting, yeah. with, like, yeah. where when you were a kid and what you were doing and how it led up to what you're doing now or uh, what you're doing now and kind of going backwards to where you were a kid. 
But the, yeah, those are the two questions. And um, uh, okay, so what was the first one again? The first one is, what are you doing with immersive audio? Huh? And um, what okay. what sort of projects are you doing? Because clearly, it's something that we, you've been doing for years. And yeah. uh, I'm just yeah. curious, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the shape of it now? Because you've done for okay. cities, you've done things for media. Um, well, with Illustrious Company Limited that I formed in 2000 with Vince Clark, we've been doing nearly 20 years worth of this stuff now, uh, using 3D Audioscape, which we co-designed the software. Over that time, we've done nearly 70 different major projects in three-dimensional sound all around the world for a, a variety of applications ranging from highly commercial, like retail trade shows, stuff to sell stuff basically through to much more esoteric stuff uh, commissioned public artworks in the in the public domain major urban installations on bridges some stuff in airports a lot of stuff for museums and which is kind of museums and exhibitions uh, are really the kind of bread and butter of, of illustrious work creating immersive three-dimensional sound installations, but often in collaboration with other technologies. So we often work a moving picture with static picture, with interaction, using data sonification to generate uh, three-dimensional soundscapes. We are adaptive to basically anything that people want to throw at us. And we also do a range of stuff that range from just providing compositional content in in a variety of immersives. So we don't have to use 3D audio escape. We are flexible. We have done quite a lot of stuff in 5.1, 7.1, 9.1. Uh, we tend to for IMAX. But uh, really, the important thing is uh, to be adaptable to whatever the, the, the kind of environment and the situation is, as you would probably understand. Every job that we do tends to be bespoke and the challenges for all of them and the benefits for all of them are different. So um, we, for instance, some of the largest projects we've done have been in a kind of kind of cuboid uh, sound array. Uh, some of them have been in circular sound array, all at various sizes and heights. Uh, we've done um, the, what, the one that we did on the Millennium Bridge was 300 meters long by uh, 10 meters wide. So it's an entirely different challenge. We've done stuff in the Tate Turbine Hall in uh, Tate Modern in, Britain, in uh, London, which is a different kind of challenge as much as it's gigantic, but also it's highly reverberant. So you have to adjust your content to um, adapt to that. So really, we will become kind of, I, I suppose, in much the same way that Morrow Sound has become kind of world experts in passing, and that's P A R S I N G between the intentions of the client or the artist and what they and letting them know and helping them hand holding them to let them know what they can achieve with immersive sound and what specific things it's very good at uh, particularly in terms of emotional engagement and what what kind of things work and what kind of things are less effective because that kind of expertise is 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 quite valuable i think and it's going to become more valuable in the future. And I know I don't, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, Charlie, but you are one of my greatest uh, mentors in this field. I, I always admired the work that you've done. And I've always thought that we're on the same wavelength. And uh, we're probably the only two people in this world who are on a similar wavelength because we both sit on that intersection between commerce and art. And that's quite a rare thing. 
there's quite a lot of people doing experimental work in three-dimensional sound uh, around the world and normally in a kind of academic or electroacoustic environment which I have total respect for and there's also quite a lot of people doing stuff in the commercial environment um, which obviously is kind of more attractive because you, you, we all need to eat but I like to think that the sort of stuff that I do and probably the sort of stuff you do is it's not far the 50-50 split of artistic sensibility and talent and commercial imperatives and that kind of balance is quite a nuanced thing to try and achieve and also at the same time to convince clients that, that you can do what they what they envisage well thank you for uh, you know painting that large picture i'm curious when you say immersive or 3d sound how would you describe it what words do you use right the reason why 3D sound appealed to me in the first place, and it's ambisonic, I suppose I'm talking about, I'm quite you know, flexible about it, um, but ambisonic is my favourite version of it, is that it somehow for me, through my practice, has, has triggered a deeper sense of reality in experience, which is something that I've always sought to achieve from my earliest times as a, as a writer of music. It's to try and paint imagery and uh, narrative into people's minds using sound and music. And I just find that immersive sound somehow seems to appeal to a deeper level of experience, which is not doesn't need to be filtered through any kind of pre prior knowledge or, or, or taste, or it can appeal equally to all demographics, even animals and who knows, even plants. I don't know. Um, it, it's about a deeper understanding of the intuitive nature that we seem to have forgotten in contemporary humanity about the connection of sound, a very deep uh, historical and, shall we say, DNA level, if we, if we believe in epigenetics through to our ancestors. Um, we all know, because I've discussed this with you before, that the sound world was just as important to the visual world to many Neolithic people and people even before that, purely uh, from a survival point of view. And a lot of the rituals that uh, it's emerged, and uh, quite a lot of research on this stuff, and I'm sure you have as well, a lot of the rituals in the past were based on sound and, and the immersion of sound in, in places like burial chambers and, and uh, all kinds of shamanistic uh, acti uh, sound activities and rituals. And this is uh, something that, uh, that seems to have been uh, lost in the midst of time for a lot of people and uh, poorly understood. Uh, but there are still a few people around the world who would like to bring back this sense of wonder and uh, communality back to our experience. And I think sound is an extremely powerful tool to do that. So immersive sound has a lot of philosophical depth for me. It's not just, a, hey, isn't it great? And uh, it's all about the technology. It's not. It's really about the content, what it enables us to deliver. That's very beautiful, the way you've put it. Wouldn't you say that there's a difference between, I mean, obviously we're all surrounded by sound and we're all surrounded by air or if we're jumping in water. Yeah. The environment is both air or water and sound and light. But something yes. in the what we're talking about in immersive sound, there's one more click that somehow we've discovered 
Uh, and yes. I'm wondering about that click. What makes that click for you? Okay, it's a combination of, of God. It depends how deep you want to go on this, really. I mean, we're starting to understand that, that and, and it's been scientifically proven, that we create reality on, on a per microsecond basis based on our prior experiences. And this enables us to reduce the amount of information that is needed to make sense of our world, basically. It's like a re reduced instruction set. This also has its flaws, if you, call, if you count them as, as such, in as much as we all know about visual illusions, and sometimes you see these visual illusions, and even though you know they're illusion, it's impossible for you to cognitively deny them. And I believe the same is true for sound. So sound is a very interesting tool in as much as it often acts as the bridesmaid, not the bride, in, in any given situation. I mean, most people, very few people, come out of a big movie experience and go, oh, you know, the visuals are terrible, but the sound was amazing. I'd say to only people like you and me, basically, and a few others. Most people take the visual world as the prime mover in their experience. And so for me, the click, going back to the original question, is that the very deep inside us is, is the inner knowledge and the inner authenticity of experience that sound can provide. It's just we don't generally, as, a, as the general public, we don't really appreciate sound in the, in the way it should. So, uh, and the effect is that it's actually having elements, just physically, alone, cognitively. So we need to, it's kind of boiled down to over the last 20 years, whenever I talk about this stuff, it's almost like I'm lecturing people. I don't intend to. It's just what I've learned over that period. Is, is a much profounder understanding of how immersive sound, three-dimensional sound, has the ability to touch us in much deeper ways than a traditional proscenium or much presentation of sound. Well, thank you very much for that view. I, I wondered if you had an experience in, in your childhood that made you aware of sound as a living force. Ah, good question. Very good question. Yeah, apart from obviously growing up with two much older sisters who uh, used record collection. We didn't have any books, but we had loads of records. Quite funny, isn't it? So I suppose that had a big influence on me. But I also grew up in Sheffield, which is an industrial town. A bit like Pittsburgh in the US, I suppose, uh, and various other kind of quite big industrial centres around Europe. I grew up in, in uh, surrounded by... I never really understood it at the time, because I thought everywhere sounded like Sheffield. I grew up in the centre of Sheffield and walking around the centre of Sheffield, you could hear uh, engineering tool making shops, for instance, where a lot of grinding sound was going on. Uh, that was the predominant sound that you'd hear as you walk around the centre of Sheffield uh, back in the day, the back streets anyway. But not only that, on a summer's evening, when it was hot, it's very hot, in, it's like 36 degrees in London at the moment, so on that kind, of, and in Sheffield, and uh, on those kind of days we'd, ha we'd have no air conditioning, have the windows open and at night you would hear the heartbeat of the uh, the drop forgers uh, coming from the, the the huge steelworks that were down sheffield is built on seven valleys so for people to understand the way that sound proliferates particularly infrasound and very low frequencies that kind of resonates and proliferates down the valleys we were at the end of one of the valleys directly at the other end from a giant drop forge so that you would get the sound of going through the nights so used to work night shifts and it's something really i really grew to love it was almost like a heartbeat of the city 
And now, of course, I can romanticise about it, but to me, it was perfectly normal at the time. And so that definitely had an influence on me. Uh, the other thing that I think had a major influence on me was television, obviously, and the proliferation of science fiction programmes on TV, especially American science fiction, in the 60s and this kind of soundtracks we were hearing when I was very young. Even things like The Beautiful Planet, which I still love to this day, William Baby Baron, and anything that was redolent of the future. Guess what? I was living in a poor room house with an outside toilet, no bathroom. This was seriously poor. And the idea that there was an optimistic future and men were landing on the moon, etc., had a great deal, had a great deal of appeal. And so I sought out the sound of the sound of futuristic kind of synthesizers that were coming to prominence at the time uh, in uh, pop records was something that was very appealing. It kind of all wrapped into this kind of nominal idea of the future being wrapped up in the year 2000 or something. It sounded incredibly futuristic to me. So I was always a lover of that, always had a musical ear, could pick up an instrument and kind of play a tune on it when I heard it. Again, something I took for granted when I was young, uh, and now realised was um, quite unusual. And fortunately, my children have in, uh, inherited the same talent. Well, that was quite beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciated the whole... The whole you know, recording, and I definitely, uh, you've given me a, 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 a real treasure here to work with for for the series. And uh, I, mean, I can remember the sound clearly. It's very subtle, and, and but beautiful, and, and um, probably went below the range of human hearing a lot of it as well. Uh, did you feel it in your body as well as through your ears? I mean, did sound enter you through, you know, through, through yes. all the pores I, on your eyeballs? I, I, I think so, yeah, uh, because... I don't recollect that feeling, but I suspect it must have done, definitely. So it was literally infrasound. I mean, it was like, now, what can I identify the frequencies? It would have been kind of 60, and be 60 hertz and below. But it was really a, a kind of movement of air, you know. And it, it also, as you know, on a still hot uh, summer's night, I think sound travels more easily. Yeah. I've always, we've always been a fan of, uh, of the sound, uh, of sounds being blown around by the wind as well. Yeah, I've done several uh, compositions uh, based around the kind of change of sound. And also, oh yeah, there's another experience as well I should mention, is listening to shortwave radio stations when I was young was a big influence. I love that sound. I love the sound fading in and out. I also loved the sound of medium wave at the time. I used to listen to Radio Luxembourg, which was the, big, which was the best pop station. In fact, it was the only pop station in the mid-60s, before Radio 1 and BBC Radio 1 and everything. And that was being transmitted from a pirate radio station in, in the North Sea. No, Luxembourg. When we talk, I'm talking, there was another one that came from the North Sea. Anyway, Luxembourg. But because of the nature of how it was transmitted, that used to fade in and out as well. And I've got very fond memories of listening to you know, the traditional saying where you've got, you try not to let your parents know that you're listening to the radio. It's on, you've got it under the, under the blanket. Uh, but listening to the big old transistor radio under the blanket and listening to my favourite Motown songs fading in and out in the most beautiful and also uh, good vibrations and, you know, and, and the four tops and... Uh, you know, it had certain influence on me. And if it had been clean and digital, like it is now, it sure would have the same influence. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. That was, uh, appreciate your sharing all of that. It's very, very um, vivid. And uh, I think uh, I think it's, it's just marvelous. So uh, thank, thank you for that. 
So, but we'll... yeah, that's well, anyway. It'd be great to do some work with you soon. Absolutely. Well, we'll stay in touch, and I'm sure there will be things to do. And I very much, uh, I'm happy to hear you. It was wonderful to see you in London. It was a very happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we could find a way to incorporate the Morrow Sound element into how we present what we do, that would be interesting. I've got to think a little bit more about it, but the way I'm conceptualizing this at the moment is for us to work together is that we're kind of content producers and that you guys would be supplying the the hardware and the and the playback mechanism for the content yeah yeah ab- absolutely i mean we're content people as well but in this case you would uh, if we had yeah. a gig together where you the content people and we were the yeah. tech part yeah that that's, that's where okay. we're trying to look yeah. at that kind of business because um that would that would really give us a bridge between your skills and, and our skills. That's oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll text you, okay? Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. We are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantenga for Morrow Sound, Vermont and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Immerse. 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 Immerse.